It's good to be back. We're going to be in a variety of passages this morning. So I was thinking this week, uh, one of my favorite books to look over when I was a kid, to read when I was a kid, was the Guinness Book of World Records. I don't know if any of you ever spent any time perusing its pages. When I was a kid, you had to buy the physical book. Uh, Now you can see most of the records on their website. I think it's guinnessbookofworldrecords.com. And I loved seeing the different records that people broke. So there were always records for the oldest person in the world, the tallest person, the shortest adult, all of these interesting records. But some of my favorites are the ones that they call dedication records. And uh, dedication records are simply records that somebody broke just because they spent a lot of time and a lot of energy to break a record and to get into the Guinness Book of World Records. So for example, uh, let me give you a few examples of recent dedication records. The largest collection of rubber ducks in the world, 5,631 rubber ducks. Now these are distinct, different rubber ducks. You can't just go order 5,000 of the same rubber duck. 5,631, this person collected rubber ducks for 15 years to get the largest collection. The largest collection of Pokemon memorabilia. 17,127 items collected over a period of 14 years. This was a British woman who broke this record. She actually flew all over the world to get these various Pokemon items. I didn't even realize there were that many. I don't know anything about Pokemon. 17,000. Greatest distance traveled with a pool cue on one's chin. 10,826 feet, more than two miles, somebody walked with a pool cue on their chin. I love reading these records. I could read them all day, but I always have to chuckle because I think at some point, somebody decided this will be my legacy, right? This is going to be the thing that at the end of my life, when people say, what did he do? What was his life about? The kids and the grandkids will gather around and they'll open up that photo album and they'll go, kids, I want you to know what grandpa did. He had more rubber ducks than anybody on the planet. That's why we buried him near the pond in the backyard, right? Because that was his value system. That was what was important. And so, so I chuckle and I laugh and I think how much time and energy is invested in something that in the grand scheme of eternity doesn't matter. And I'm not saying there's anything evil about rubber ducks. Everybody likes rubber ducks. I'm just saying in the grand scheme of eternity, do we think about whether we are spending our time in ways that are productive and eternally significant? As soon as I start to laugh at these displays of time wasting, I feel a deep pang of conviction because of how often in my own life I waste time or spend time in ways that are not eternally significant. Maybe you feel it too. Think back over the course of the last week and ask yourself this question. How did you spend your time? How much time did you waste? How much time would you say, you know what, I just wasted it. I frittered it away, simply scrolling through my social media feeds convinced that there would be something important just below the screen as I scrolled up, reading news that maybe you didn't need to know, engaged in excessive time 
in leisure. Right? It may be that you say, you know what, I think back over my week and I didn't have any time for any of that. I don't have time. Right? I have too many children, too much going on. I work too much. I don't have time for any of that. So let me ask you this. When you think back over your last week, over your last month, over your last year, you say, I didn't waste time in excessive leisure. But is it possible that you find yourself engaged in simply overactivity? You're always busy, but you can't really put your finger on what it is you're doing. You're always busy going from activity to activity to activity, but when you hit the end of the week, you say, am I really living in keeping with the priorities that I say I have for my life? Have you ever paused to ask the question, what is the meaning behind all of the activity? Could you go back over the last week or month or year and say, I spent my time in this way and I spent my time productively. Every year or two, the United States government commissions a study. It's called the American Time Use Survey. And I like to read the American Time Use Survey because really what they do is they ask people, how do you spend your time on a daily basis? And they take down averages. So the most recent American Time Use Survey, let me share with you just a few of what a few of the things that they found. Okay, we spend on average 8.57 hours a day sleeping. Now that's an average. I realize some of you are like, I spend way less, especially if you have small children. You may spend more. Obviously, there are some people that I don't know who those people are. They're getting 10 or 11 hours a day. We spend on average 4.37 hours a day working. Now I realize, again, some people it's a lot more. Some people it's zero. This is on average. On average, if you have kids, you're spending about 1.22 hours taking care of your kids. Now, if you have babies, probably what's going on is the sleep number is much smaller and the kid number is much higher, right? Yeah, someone said that's per kid. (laughs) Two hours in household activities, that is cooking, cleaning, mowing the lawn, those types of things. Two hours in household activities every day. Now, this was interesting. Four hours engaged in leisure. Now, I found this interesting partly because the last time I looked at this study for a sermon, which was probably 10 years ago, that number was 2.6 hours. Right? So in the last 10 years, on average, Americans have begun to spend more and more and more time in leisure. The biggest uh, section of that category was television. The second biggest section, which was the one that had grown, was what they called communicating and socializing. That had grown to a little over an hour. And I assume by communicating and socializing, what they mean is this, right? Because in 2007, the last one that I took numbers down, social media wasn't as much of a thing. Four hours engaged in leisure. Now, this one I found very interesting. Nine minutes in religious activities, That would include reading your Bible, praying, going to church, going to a Bible study. Nine minutes engaged in religious activities. All right, so you may look at that and you say, hey, my day looks nothing like that. Or you may say, yeah, that's a pretty good approximation of my time. Add a little here, take a little away here. Whether you say my day looks like that or not, my question is this. Have you ever intentionally sat down and asked, how am I spending my time And is the way that I spend my time consistent with the values that I have for my life? So if you get to the end of your life and you say, I want the values that are communicated with my life to be, I love and know God. And you tell that to your kids, that's number one priority in my life. I want to know God. Does your time reflect that? 
right? You say, I have a priority on loving my family, right? I'm going to love God and then I'm going to love others. I want to love my family. Does your time reflect that? I want to share the gospel. I want to make disciples. Does your time reflect that? So in other words, you have values that you would say, these are core to who I am. Have you ever thought, does the way I spend my time reflect my values, right? The scripture talks over and over about the way we spend our time and specifically how time is a resource we have been given for the glory of God. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17 is kind of our central passage this morning. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That phrase, to make the most of the time, literally in the original language, it means to redeem or to buy back the time. So it's a word that's used sometimes of how God redeemed us in Jesus, right? We were slaves to sin. We were caught in death. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God bought us for himself. He purchased us. And so now Paul says here in Ephesians, what you're called to do is buy back your time, redeem your time, because the days are evil. And so you have a certain number of days. And in the world we live in, we live in an evil, fallen, sinful world. And he says, you take your time and you buy it back. You claim it back for Jesus Christ. And so he says, don't be foolish understand what the will of the Lord is. And he goes on in this passage, and this is the passage where he's going to say, look, this is why you don't want to get drunk with wine. Why? Because getting drunk with wine is what he calls dissipation. It's wastefulness. You're simply frittering away the time that you ought to be redeeming for God's purposes. Some of you have heard the quote by Benjamin Franklin, do not squander time for that is the stuff life is made of. I I think about this all the time, how really our time is a more valuable resource, I think, than our money. Our time is a more valuable resource than our money. Why is that? Well, you can always make more money. You can never make more time. You can never make more time. The wealthiest person on the planet has the same amount of time as the poorest person on the planet. Whether you have a million dollars or zero dollars, you have 24 hours in a day, you have seven days in a week, you have 365 days in a year, and you have a certain allotment of days until the day that they lay you in the ground. That's it. You can't make more. And so your time is a deeply valuable resource. And so the question we're going to look at this morning from the scripture is, are we using our time consistently with the values we say we hold to, to glorify and honor Jesus Christ with our time? And as we walk through this sermon, it may be that you hit the end of the sermon and you say, you know what, I I do waste time. If I'm honest, I waste time engaged in activities that are not really meaningful. Maybe you spend too much time in leisure, unplugging, convincing yourself that you need that time. And you say, you know what? Yes, I need my four hours of Instagram time to be sane. And you may have to reevaluate that. Or it may be, and I think this is going to be the case, especially if you are somebody who has 
small kids or elementary or youth kids in your house. You may say, no, I don't really fritter away my time, but I'm engaged in frenetic activity and I can't really pinpoint why. Right? We take kids from activity to activity to activity and we've never paused to think, why? What's the foundation for why we're doing it? Is it because the other kids are each doing six activities in all the other families? And I want my kids to be able to learn these skills so they can go to the best schools because they have all the extracurricular activities so they can get a good job, so they can grow up one day and have the money so their kids can do six activities. Or have we paused to say, I want my time to reflect the values of Scripture. We're going to look at some principles of time then this morning from God's Word. The first one is this. Our time is short. Our time is short. Psalm chapter 39. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. A few years ago, I had the same telemarketer call me three times in the course of a week. Uh, The first time he called, it was one of those situations, I think I was at work, and I said, hey, I really can't talk right now. I'm busy. And as they often do, he said, can I call you back at a different time? And this was a number of years ago, and I was not as um, assertive as I would be now. And I said, sure, you can call me back. And so he did. Second time he called, I said I couldn't talk. I don't remember if I told him he could call a third time, but he did call a third time. And the third time he called, I was so frustrated internally. I remember thinking, I don't have time for this because I'm watching Duck Dynasty right now. That's what I was doing the third time he called. And I remember having to pause and think about the irony that when somebody else wanted to claim a piece of my time, all of a sudden I didn't have any. But when I was in control of my own time, I felt perfectly comfortable just frittering it away as if it was a resource I had an infinite amount of, right? When I am on the road and I'm trying to get somewhere in this town and the person in front of me is going 25 in a 40, which happens a lot around here. And I don't like that what they are wasting my time. But on a day-to-day basis, I waste my time. Because I don't always think about the transient nature of my life. The psalmist here uses this this phrase, you have made my days as handbreadths. A handbreadth was the smallest Hebrew unit of measurement. This was a handbreadth from your pinky to your index finger, right there, four fingers. That's it. He says, that's our life. The shortest measurement you can find. He says, every man at his best is a mere breath. Go outside on a cold day, breathe into the air, and watch your breath appear and then disappear. That's your life. That's my life. The average life expectancy in the United States right now is 78 years old. I think it's like 78.6 years is the average life expectancy. 
So think about where you are for a moment. My guess is if you're on the younger end of the spectrum, you're 18, 20, you go, man, I'm good. I probably have, I got 60 years, right? If you're in the middle of the spectrum somewhere like I am, you go, I've still got some left. Maybe you're 40, maybe 50, maybe 60. I'm not going to keep going, right? But ask yourself if the averages play out. And of course, that assumes that you don't die before that time, right? That you don't die before that time in an accident or of disease or through violence or some other way. We hope that doesn't happen, but none of us knows how long we have. If you're 20 years old and you're thinking, man, I got plenty of time. Let's say that you live the full 78 years. If you're 20 now, that means you on average, you have 21,000 days left. 7,400 of those you will spend sleeping. 875 of them you will spend eating. That leaves about 13,000 days left if you live that long. If you're around 40, you have about 8,000, 8,200 productive days remaining. What are you doing with the days? Even if you live to 100, the psalmist says, it's like a breath. When our daughters were pretty small, one year for Christmas, somebody gave them a couple of goldfish in a little goldfish bowl. And they were super excited about these goldfish. And uh, we brought them home, we put them in the room, but I felt like I needed to explain to them about the mortality rate of goldfish. Because anybody who's had them, you know, on average, they don't live very long, right? So they were so excited about these goldfish. And I, I pulled them aside and I said, now, girls, I just need you to know. They're fun to watch and, and they're fun to see them swim, but they don't live very long. The reason I felt like I needed to tell them that was because when I was a kid about their age, I had tropical fish in an aquarium. And uh, after a couple of weeks, one of them died. It was a tiny little catfish. I remember it died and I wasn't prepared. And I began to cry at this little catfish. And I went and I, I'm just bawling. And I said, mom, the catfish, it died. And, I, yeah. and my mom, my mom is a compassionate woman, but she rolled her eyes into the back of her head. And she said, son, if you're going to do this every time one of those fish dies, we're not going to buy anymore. Because that's what fish do. They die. It's their thing. Like that's, that's what they do. And so you need to understand there, there is a high mortality rate with fish. And so I told my girls that. And then I thought, you know, it's interesting. I felt this need to talk to them seriously about the mortality of their goldfish. But do we talk about the mortality of humanity? Do we make it clear, not only to our kids, but to one another, hey, our time is short. You don't have much. And the scripture says that not to depress us, but to place in us a reality that we have been allotted a certain number of days on this earth to do what God has called us to do. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Some of you were here a couple years ago when we preached from the book of Ecclesiastes. Probably my favorite section in the book of Ecclesiastes comes right at the end. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come 
and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble, that is your arms begin to tremble from age and the mighty men stoop, your legs begin to stoop, the grinding ones stand idle because they are few. That's a way of saying your teeth don't do a whole lot because there ain't many left. Those who look through the windows, that's your eyes, they grow dim. The doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. You can't hear much. One will arise at the sound of bird and all the daughters of song will sing softly. In other words, you get up very early in the morning when a bird begins to sing, but you can't hear your own children when they say something to you. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. The almond tree blossoms, that is the beautiful gray head of hair. The grasshopper drags himself along and the caperberry is ineffective. Caperberry was an aphrodisiac. It doesn't work anymore. For man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. Remember him, that is, remember your creator before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed, the pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel of the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. What's he saying? You remember your creator while you can. Even if you live to be a hundred, The day will come when your strength and vitality will begin to fade away. We used to take our interns when I was the college pastor once a week over to a nursing home down the street to sing hymns and to share the gospel and to preach and do a little service for them. But it was also an opportunity for those of us who were young to spend time talking with the residents to minister to them, but also to learn. And what we learned was that some would look back and they would say, I felt that I spent my life well. And others had deep regret. All of us are headed there. So our time is short. Secondly, our time is a delegated resource. Time is a delegated resource. Romans chapter 14, for not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. In other words, Paul is saying, look, Jesus died and rose again and he purchased you for himself. You belong to him. If you know Jesus Christ, your time, your life belongs to him. Everything you do, whether you are at rest or whether you are at work or whether you are playing, everything you do, all your time belongs to Jesus Christ. It's not yours. So it's not as if our day is a big pie where we can take our little slice of Jesus' time and say, I'm going to give you this little piece of time and the rest is mine, right? Very similar to our money. All of it belongs to God. Every minute. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God because when you're eating, when you're drinking, when you're sleeping, when you're engaged with your kids or your spouse, when you're at work, all that time belongs to the one who made you and redeemed you in Jesus Christ. Several months ago, we happened to be watching 
an episode of Undercover Boss. And some of you have seen Undercover Boss where, you know, a CEO will go incognito into, uh, you know, a place of work in his business, right? So he'll, if he owns like Taco Bell, he'll put on a wig and go act like he belongs as a worker and he's learning in Taco Bell to observe supposedly his employees and all of that in their normal setting to get a sense of what's going on. So we're watching this episode, and this particular episode was about a gym. It was, it was a fitness center. And there was this employee, when the boss walked in, she's supposed to train him. She's like, okay, I, I, I manage the front desk. And she goes, you know, really what I do, I'm supposed to greet people, I'm supposed to help people, but most of what I do is I sit here and I, I just do this on my phone. And I take selfies, you know, and they always, they always have that deal where they pull the boss aside and they interview him separately. And he's like, I can't believe this is happening right now. This is what she does when she's on the clock, right? And he's like, well, wouldn't, aren't you supposed to take care of me? She's like, oh, they'll interrupt me, right? They can come up and talk to me if they need to. And my kids were watching it. And uh, one of our daughters is like ready to scream at the TV. She can't do that, right? And at the end of the episode, they actually, they fired her. They called in her boss and the CEO on national television. Now, if you've ever been fired, it's painful. Getting fired on national TV. I mean, I don't know how you live that down. Right, but the, but, but the reality is that as they watched, I think my kids intuitively knew something that we often forget. When she is at that place of business, the boss has paid for her time. There is no me time to take selfies and surf the internet. That, that time doesn't belong to you. I've told you before, I had a boss at a restaurant that when all the customers were served, if you were standing there, he would come up and he would look at you and he would say, if there's a time to lean, there is a time to clean. I hated that when he said that. But what was he saying? I have purchased your time at $4.15 an hour. It belongs to me. So as long as you're here, You belong to me. Paul says, as long as you're on this earth, God has purchased your time by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's all his. It's a delegated resource. And throughout the book of Romans, and and Peter says it too in 1 Peter 4, the scripture says, your time is really not yours simply to do with what you please because it belongs to Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 13, he says, do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. What is he getting at? Well, he's saying the day is gonna come when we will give an account for our time and that day is near. Jesus is coming back. You may face judgment before Jesus Christ, before he returns to this earth, because your life will end. My life will end. But the day is coming when we will give an account for our time. And Paul says, because that day is near, lay aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light. And he'll go on and he says, there are ways you could spend your time that are directly counterproductive. I think we recognize that. He talks about drunkenness and uh, sexual immorality and gluttony. He talks about filling your mind and heart with evil thoughts. There are ways, I think we all recognize there are ways that are counterproductive to our values in which we could spend our time. But there are also ways that are productive 
And even though we may not be spending our time in counterproductive ways, we might simply be frittering it away. Right? And so Paul says, look, our time is a delegated resource. It's not our life. It's God's. And so have we ever thought through the way we spend our time in relation to that reality that it belongs to him? And I want to be clear, I'm not saying that leisure or rest is bad. We need rest. We need play. But even that time belongs to God. Our work time belongs to God. Our family time belongs to God. And so when I am resting, am I resting with a view to doing God's will, to gaining energy and strength to do the will of God? When I'm at work, am I working with a view to reflecting Jesus Christ? Our time is a delegated resource. It belongs to God. So our time is short. It's a delegated resource. And thirdly, our time has a purpose. Our time has a purpose. Early in our marriage, Shannon and I a few times watched Pride and Prejudice. It's her favorite book. And I have now read the book and I have watched Pride and Prejudice. And I don't mean the two-hour movie that came out a few years ago. I mean the five-hour BBC version of Pride and Prejudice. I've seen it. I've, I've spent maybe, maybe 20 hours of my life watching it several times. And she's watched it more. She loves it. And I, I watch it because I love her. I read the book because I love her. But when I first began to watch it, one of the things I struggled with was that if you've never seen it before, like a lot of the Jane Austen stories, essentially they revolve around a group of upper class gentlemen and ladies in the early uh, 19th century in England. And most of what you see on the screen are just people having conversations, quiet conversations that it's hard to understand. And their conversations are mostly about who's going to marry whom and who will get the estate when this person passes on. And that's, that's the essence of it. And as I watched it, I always had this urge just to go, these people need jobs. Like they need something to do to fill their time to stop talking about these things, right? And, and what's interesting is that was actually often the reality of the upper class in England in that era. They didn't need jobs because they had enough money to never work. And so all too often they invested, or I should say used their lives in ways that were purposeless. All right, but as we look at the scripture We see that if you know Jesus Christ, even if you don't have a job outside the home, your time has a purpose. There shouldn't be moments where you say, you know what, this is just purposeless. Your time has a purpose. Look at Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came up and spoke to his disciples saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus says, if you know Jesus Christ, this is your mission. You have a mission. Every day when you wake up, your mission is to make disciples wherever you are and to be a part of this disciple-making process here and around the world because Jesus died and Jesus rose again. God wants people from all nations to come to know him. And he has asked you and me to be a part of that task. And so Jesus says, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's your purpose. That's your mission. 
So when you're resting, you are resting up to re-engage in the mission. When you're training and teaching your kids, you are training people to engage in the mission of Jesus Christ. When you go to work, you are going to work so you can reflect your creator and the values of the gospel and you pray for opportunities to make disciples, to share the good news, to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And it may be that God even calls you one day to go to another nation to make disciples. Your time has a purpose. We also have been called to certain values. Matthew chapter 22. Jesus said, this is to the lawyer who asks, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. You have a purpose and a value statement to make disciples, to love God and to love people. So when we get together with our staff at Creekside and we begin to evaluate, we did it this past week, we begin to evaluate how is our ministry going? What is God doing at Grace Bible Church Creekside and how are we contributing to that or hindering that? We evaluate through this grid. Are you loving God? Are you loving other people? Are you engaged in making disciples? Love God, love others, make disciples. That is our mission. And those are our values. So that when we think about our time, the question is, are we living consistently with our purpose? Yeah, I mentioned that often in the upper classes in England, especially in the 19th century, there was a certain amount of dissipation of time. And yet some of you may have read about a man, this is mid to late 19th century, a man named C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd was an athlete, a great athlete, but he also came from a very wealthy home. A home wealthy enough that he didn't really have to work. He was able to go to school, fully paid for. I believe he was a cricket player. He was a really, really good cricket player, which was a big deal in 1870 or whenever. And yet at some point, C.T. Studd came to know Jesus Christ. And he decided to invest his life in the Great Commission. He joined Hudson Taylor eventually in China. He was one of what they call the Cambridge Seven, who went over to China to share the gospel. And he left what he knew behind because he was so convinced of this reality. In fact, he's the one, the famous saying you may have heard, some people want to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop a yard from the gates of hell. Because this man who could have spent his life in leisure said, my life belongs to Jesus Christ. That's how I want to spend my time. And it may be that God calls you sometime to go to the nations or it may be that God calls you to invest your time in the Great Commission right here with your job, in your work, at your home. It's easy to forget on a day-to-day basis, at least for me, why I'm here. Because there are so many distractions. There are so many distractions, and I think we often get drawn in by distractions. 
And we even may feel strongly about some of those distractions. So we engage in debates about them on the internet. But they're still distractions from loving God, loving others, and making disciples. I um, had to go to Lowe's this past weekend three times um, because I went to get some supplies to take care of our yard and then, of course, realized that I did not get everything I needed, so I had to go back, and then later had to go back again three times. And, and I'll admit that for me, that is not necessarily a hardship. I love Lowe's. I love walking through Lowe's. But one of the dangers that I face when I go in there is I go in, for example, for light bulbs, and I find myself looking at the lawn tractors or the various tools that I've never seen before. And I begin to convince myself that these are things that I need. Now, the reality is I've never spontaneously purchased a lawn tractor and brought it home. But I have purchased tools I don't really need because I was distracted by their shininess and their awesomeness. In fact, I've even purchased things I don't need and gotten home without the stuff I do need (laughs) and had to go back again. And I think all too often as we move through our lives, that can happen to us. That we look and we say, oh man, I, I have to weigh in on this issue. I have to engage in this deal. I've got to play this particular game for a long period of time. I have these things that I have to do, right? Uh, My family, we've got to be involved in all these activities. I don't know how we could say no to anything. And we get distracted. And the danger is we hit that point at the end of our days and we look back and we say, I did a lot, but it didn't reflect the values of the kingdom of God. Time is short. It's a delegated resource. It has a purpose. So here's what I want to ask of us over the course of the next week then by way of application. Because you may be going, yeah, I know that there are ways. My time doesn't match up to my values or my priorities. How can I remedy that? Here's what I I want us to do. And uh, if you, and I'm just going to be really honest, if you would like to walk out of the room and not make changes... Seriously, uh, then just ignore the next five minutes, okay? Because really, if we do this, I think it's going to call all of us to change the way that we approach our time. Okay, so the first step is this. Make a list of your values, right? And try to keep it short. Keep it to no more than five to seven. What are the things that you say, this is really important to me? Maybe it is knowing Jesus first. I hope it is. Maybe it is your family. You say, I want to train my kids to know Jesus. Maybe it's your marriage. You say, I want to invest in my marriage. Maybe it is something at your job. So you make a list. You say, these are the things that are really important to me that I say at the end of my life, I want to be known for these things. If my kids and grandkids say, dad or granddad or grandmom was about this, make a list of those things. Second step, track how you use your time this week. If you've never done this, it will be challenging and convicting. I don't mean simply create a calendar of the things that you plan to do. I mean, after you do them, track your time. Okay, now I would encourage you do this in 30-minute increments. And the reason is, at least for me, often if I wait until the end of the day and try to remember it all, I will find that there are blocks of missing time I cannot account for. I don't remember everything that I did all day long. So you might make a chart that looks a little bit like this. So, you know, seven o'clock, wake up. 
7.30, maybe you read your Bible. 8 o'clock, you go to work, you work through the morning. 10.30, you need coffee, you take coffee break. Get back to work at 11 and so on. Every 30 minutes, say, what was I doing for the past 30 minutes? It'll take you just a couple of seconds. Jot it down. Track your time. Do it all week long. Maybe do it for two weeks. If you're a person who has a, a schedule that isn't consistent from week to week, do this for a week or two. And then after you do that, ask this question, does my use of time reflect my values? Go back and look at that list of values and look at your calendar or at your time tracking. You say, does my use of my time reflect my values? And what needs to change? It may be for some, you say, I need to engage in our community by serving those who are in need. It may be you say, I need to begin to talk with my neighbors because I haven't thought about sharing the gospel. But you say, I don't know when I'm going to do that. And so you look at that time tracking and you may say, I have to cut some stuff. There may be an activity that you are doing or that your kids are doing that you say, that doesn't fit with the values we want to have as a family. That's why I say, if, if, if we do this honestly, I think it's going to lead to some hard conversations and some hard moments. Does our use of time reflect the purpose for which God placed us here? Our time is short. It's a delegated resource, and God has given it to us for a purpose. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for the time this morning to hear from your word. Every single one of us, if we have listened to your word this morning, every single one of us is aware of ways in which we have failed to use our time well. And so we pray for your forgiveness. Father, we pray that instead of simply giving in to the shame or the guilt we may feel, that your spirit would push us, Lord, and we would listen to the Spirit's voice for where we need to make changes. I pray we would not be so caught up in frantic activity that we forget why you've placed us here. Make us effective. Allow us to live out the eternal values of loving you, of loving others as Jesus does, and making disciples. We thank you for this time, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.